When you're faced with a crisis, it pays to ask advice from those who have faced such a crisis before. And when Russia invades Ukraine, triggering a massive stock market route, the person who I'm going to be asking for advice is Charlie Morris of the Fleet Street Letter. Charlie, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here, Nick. So let's first of all establish your credibility here, because that is the real reason we're doing this video. Your career, both in the military and then also obviously in, in financial markets, uh, leads you to have a much more experienced and I think wise perception of what's going on in the stock market right now. Well, I hope so. I, I remember patrolling the streets of Northern Ireland in um, 1997. And, you know, when I was studying house prices a few years later, and I recognized that Northern Irish house prices have been the best performing from 97 to 2006, and, and, and it looked pretty grim back at that time, it taught me a big lesson in finance that, you know, uh, some of the best opportunities really start from when the news is pretty bad. And um, these are difficult times, you know, no one likes to profit from these sort of situations, but it is important to understand what's going on. Yeah, let's explore quickly your your little military background and financial background and, and how they work together. That's one example. But what did you get up to in your, your two careers? Um, well, I mean, one career was very long, one was very short. I was only in the military for four years as a youngster in my 20s, um, and I've been in finance ever since. But, um, you know, it was, it was been valuable lessons back then because, um, you know, saw interesting parts of the world, learned how to, to uh, command a platoon, which was fascinating. And, um, you know, I, th I think you have a very different perspective on what's going on. Certainly, I've always felt that when studying history, you know, we tend to tell the story through kings and queens. But, you know, when I joined the army, I started to look at, look at history through a military lens. And then when I joined um, finance, I started to see it through the history of the economy. And funny enough, it's when you bring these things together, as you start to, it starts to all make a bit more sense. You know, you can tell stories through asset prices, or you can tell stories you know, through famous events that have lived through history. Yeah, it's all data telling the narrative and the story. What do you make of our present crisis then, both from those two perspectives of that military side and that economic side, this invasion of Ukraine by Russia? I think it's irrational and makes no sense, which is probably why it's happened. And I think you've got to go back to 1939. Funnily enough, when the Fleet Street letter was, was founded in 1938, and, 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 um, and the author at the time uh, did actually predict the Second World War and everyone else think, thought it wasn't going to happen. And, and I guess you get these people in charge every now and then who just don't think like other people do. And, and that's what we've got now. And so it, it seems irrational, that it seems to be destructive. Um, it doesn't seem there's going to be a winner from this. I mean, the Ukraine's going to be smashed to smithereens. Russia's going to be broke. So, you know, why, why would anyone do this? And that's the real mystery. But, but unfortunately, it's happened. And the implications are far reaching. You know, we already know that the, the, the outlook for the defense industry is going to change. You know, we've had years of people saying, what a waste of money all these nuclear submarines are, and uh, you know, why are we investing in the military, and what do we need carriers for? Um, and then suddenly it all makes sense in a heartbeat, doesn't it? Uh, and the Germans have just decided to, you know, to, to spend 2% of GDP or more um, on defense. And so there's going to be, there's going to be a real change in, in how we see things. And suddenly, you know, whether a bathroom is gender neutral doesn't seem to matter anymore, does it? There are bigger things to worry about. And can you really allow, um, you know, a, a, a Russian nuclear submarine to be charging around the world, you know, without someone following it? 
Yeah, this really puts that in, into perspective. Okay. I just want to verify as well that I was actually in the, the archives of the, um, uh, well, it's not the British Museum, it's the, the library of something. I've forgotten it now because it was so long ago. Um, but I was in the archives looking through the old editions of the Fleet Street Letter to verify that the, the editor had actually predicted down to the month when, uh, when World War II would begin. Uh, and I did verify that. So uh, that was a, an experience. The real lesson it sounds like from you is that inexplicable or seemingly irrational things do happen. And so you do have to be prepared for them as an investor. Have I got that right? Yeah, absolutely right. And, and, and you know, the, the Fleet Street Letter has embraced Russian assets on several occasions uh, under my stewardship over the last seven years. And we had quite a large position in Russia, which we came out of um, back in November. I mean, thank God for that, because the price is down a lot. Now, I will disclose, we still have one very small position in a, in a Russian gold mine. And, um, you know, let's talk about that. Why, why didn't I sell it um, a month ago? And I think the, the answer there is pretty clear. Uh, and that is the, the gold mine is, is a well-run operation that was always very, very undervalued by the market. And so, you know, on a long-term basis, you're thinking, great, we'll, we'll, we'll hold this because if gold really, really moves, then this asset will kick in. But I think what's quite interesting um, in the short term is the reaction to Russian stocks. And what's now, what's now happening is the assumption is there are no profits, there are no dividends, that's it. You know, nothing for you, investor. But the ownership continues. Someone's got to own those assets. Now, with the rise of the Soviet Union, uh, that was the state. And so if you owned assets in, in anything Russian ahead of that time, then, then you, you, you went to where you came away with nothing. But I think on this occasion, you've got an option value because that doesn't seem to be on the cards quite yet. And it's more about the regime change. So if Putin, um, for, for whatever reason, um, is no longer in charge, we don't have to wait as long as we did for Adolf Hitler back in the 30s, 40s, and actually he goes much sooner. Um, and, and the notion of private ownership um, continues. And let's face it, everyone around Putin seems to like money quite a lot. Um, then, then these options are extremely cheap. So one's not um, recommending Russian assets at this time by any means, but it, it's certainly a very, very interesting situation we've got to follow really closely um, over the coming months and years. And by option, you mean you're, you're paying a, a relatively cheap amount for the opportunity there of, a, of an outsized gain. To me, the worry is from the other side. To me right now, the, the geopolitical risk is coming from the Western nation's response to what's happened. The idea that stocks could be delisted or barred from, from settlement on, on various UK exchanges. Are you worried about that? Absolutely. I think all of these things are, um, are very real, very real problems. But you know, you, you're already at the option price level. So you've already discounted the fact that the, the things are not going to pay your profit. So, you know, rich rate, we're not we're not talking about buying Russian assets today, but it's certainly an area of interest um, over the coming months and years because it's going to be difficult. I mean, the only way to make money over the coming months and years is going to be through through deep value situations. And and I don't think I've seen a better one than this. Well, since Russian stocks in 1988. Why do you say that? Why do you say that that's the, the key place or the key sort of opportunity to look for in investing? Because ever since the credit crisis in 2008, um, we've literally fueled this fire with printed money, monetary easing, printed money, financial tricks, 
you know, there's two ways to make money. One is hard work, get out there and, you know, flex your muscles and do useful things. And the other is to, you know, make it an illusion of wealth. And I think the West has been very, very good at this sort of illusion of wealth creation where literally we've collectively sold the family silver. You could put it that way. And so stock markets generally are very, very hyped, particularly in America, particularly in the technology areas, not just the Internet, but, but uh, the wider, wider parts of innovation of, you know, of how exciting our future might be. And, and those areas really are, are um, well overblown and prices are so high that stock markets will take, take some time to recover. Now, if you'd bought the NASDAQ in March, 20, March 2000, which was um, the last time that we had a, a big technology bubble, you know, it wasn't, until, it wasn't until the middle of 2020 that you'd outperformed the S&P 500. It took 20 years for that to have been a good decision. And we're living through one of those times now where if you go and invest in US tech today, it will be a generation before it's proven to have been a good idea. So you've got to think differently. Part of that, that phenomenon of um, having sold the family silver and using monetary policy to try and escape for any, any, you know, any conceivable crisis from a you know, bank failure to a pandemic, that's worked quite well to pump up stock markets and bond markets and, and house, house prices. Is that going to work in this scenario of, of Russia invading Ukraine and the potential for that escalating? Is this just another geopolitical or economic or financial crisis that central banks can paper over? I mean, they, they, they papered over a pandemic that, you know, stocks, you know, of course they crashed, but they recovered incredibly quickly. Is this different or is this going to be another example of, of them successfully papering over the problem? It's different, Nick, because this time it's real. And uh, by that, you know, if you, if, you, if you increase the amount of money in the system and the asset base doesn't change very much, then obviously that's going to, at the margin, create increased demand for the asset. And I think that, um, you know, we're at a point now where you've just got a, a, a big divergence. You've got two types of asset, one that seems very exciting and, one, uh, and, and is embraced by all and everyone already owns it. Um, and that is... Um, the sort of acceptable face of capitalism, um, uh, re really the tech stocks, but I, 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 we'll move on from that. But then you've got the, the serious side of what we actually need. We don't really need Facebook. We don't really need um, all this stuff that we enjoy on our screens. Um, but we, what we actually need is, is energy and um, you know, the hard things like that. And, and of course, these have been very unfashionable areas of investment in recent years because of environmental social concerns. And so there's, there's no doubt going to be an emphasis where we've got to shift um, our, uh, to things that we actually need. And unfortunately, that's not just oil and, and, and gas, but it's also defence. So it's areas that we've just ignored for a long period of time um, uh, uh, suddenly come to the fore and they're going to be much more important. Normal luxuries that we've got very used to and lazy with then um, can, can pretty much be ignored. So I think that there's going to be a big sea change in the investment landscape. I think investors are going to survive. Got to think differently. You know what you're going to get from a a, a bog standard um, high street bank advice will be a 60-40 portfolio. You know, have some bonds. You know, fund managers don't know what they're doing. They underperform over the long term. The fees are too high. They'll tell you all these things, uh, but ultimately, at times like this, you just got to think differently. If you own the index and you own the bond market when it's overvalued, you're just going to lose money. I don't know where you stand on the whole inflation, deflation, transitory, tran not transitory debate. 
But it seems to me that this invasion of Ukraine is going to lead or trigger a whole new impetus for another boost to inflation. And and it's already the case that central bankers and politicians are blaming inflation on, on the invasion um, of Ukraine. What do you think is going to happen to the inflation data and to monetary policy in response as a result of this invasion? So it's created a lot of money over a lot of years. We haven't increased the asset base or the things to buy radically at all. And so therefore all that money chasing few goods will put prices up. That's exacerbated the most in commodities, which benefit from supply chain shocks and from general, gen, you know, excess demand generally, um, and, and, um, and also just from the money printing. So commodities is really very likely to be the asset class that outperforms over the next um, decade. That certainly would, would, would um, coincide what we saw with, well, really the post-dot-com bust and also the 1970s. So at times when stock markets um, have, have had it too good for too long, commodities tend to do quite a good job. And the simple thing to do if you're um, an investor is either own the, 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 um, the gold space, which is the gold miners, uh, gold itself, other precious metals, or you've got the, um, the commodity space, which can be reflected by things like copper and oil. You don't really need to dig down too far. Um, yes, it's obvious that in a rising commodity market, wheat and corn will go up, but actually they'll go up because they're friends of oil. Because if you want to, to, to farm a field, you have to consume diesel. So that's why those prices always, will always stay quite close together. So basically a blend of, you know, an, un, an understanding of, of copper, of gold and, and oil will carry you through. The rest of it, you probably need, don't need to worry about too much. Yeah, I was going to ask you next about how investors should sort of prepare for a crisis like this one. And it sounds like you see it as an asset allocation issue where you should increase the amount of uh, assets that you own in, in certain areas and reduce them in others. Where are you reducing your exposure? Well, I think old world, I think the anything that's been popular over the last 10 years, I would start with overvalued assets, which is um, US stocks in particular. US stocks have really benefit from this whole um, um, movement, but also things like luxury goods. You know, you've got to wonder how relevant a luxury goods company will be when the world's at war. It just doesn't seem as relevant as it did, does it? I mean, I, I actually, I visited Kiev, I got engaged there in 2011, and I actually walked down a street with a Gucci and a Prada on it. And it just, it, you know, that's what I think of when I see these shells coming over. I'm just, and then the hotel I stayed at and the restaurants I went to, it's, it's a, it's a terrible thing. Um, but the, 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 the shift away from the financial economy to the real economy is, is really what it's all about. So less of, less, of the, less of the fancy stuff, more of the real stuff. And um, you might think that's always the case, but it really isn't. Because when the times are good, it's, it's, the, it's the fancy stuff that always makes more money than the, the stuff you actually need. I mean, no one really cares about um, steel, iron and steel and things like that during the good times, because when you've, when you've, you know, when you've, when you've consumed enough, that's it. And so there's a, there's a limit to the upside, but there's no limit to the upside when you've got imagination at play. For example, starting a new colony on Mars. Now it might be ridiculous, and it probably is ridiculous, but it's an idea that just you know people can really run with. And so that's why you know you have this extraordinary um, uh, shift between the stuff you actually need and the dreams, which people get carried away with. We're firmly in the former camp now. 
what do you make of alternative ways to sort of hedge risk, such as some of the uh, the more unique and odd ideas out there, like VIX ETFs or buying put options or you know that sort of idea? Should it, everyday investors be looking at something like that, or is that best left to the investment bankers? The VIX ETF is a very interesting one because the way to make money out of it historically has been to sell it, not to buy it, and so the VIX ETF. Um, to, to, to those those who aren't quite sure what that, that means, it basically you get paid if the stock market collapses. So if volatility in the market goes up a lot, then you get paid a lot. And so it sounds really nice on paper to have this sort of uh, cash protection insurance. Uh, and so this crash protection insurance, unfortunately, costs you 55% of your investment each year. So if you invest £100, um, by the end of year one, you've got 45 Now keep doing that for a few years and you'll still run out of money. And, um, and you have to keep topping it up to, you know, to actually have enough exposure to, to fend all your assets. So let's say you've got um, £100 invested in the stock market and you want to hedge it, you, you might need a whole £100 of, of VIX, let's say. So if, the, so if the stock market collapsed, then this VIX would go up quite a lot and you'd, you'd be offset. And so, you know, this is a really, really inefficient and expensive way to hedge. I think a better way to do it is just by good portfolio construction, and that is to diversify because you never know. I mean, things always go um, uh, well and badly in a portfolio. That's a well-designed portfolio will have some things that go well and a, and, and a few things that go badly because of different situations. If everything's the same, then what was the point of diversification? I mean, um, looking at the Fleet Street letter wealth building uh, portfolios, you know, we've had a couple of things go wrong this year, but actually the portfolios are up in a market that looks pretty sorry. So, you know, we're very happy with that. And it's, and it's because there's been some exposure to defence, there's been some exposure to gold, um, and, <clears throat> and some exposure to the US dollar, for example. These are all simple ways. Uh, not rocket science if you've anyone has experience in financial markets. And, and, um, and, and by owning some of these things, when things go horribly wrong, um, then, then, then you've really defended the portfolio. And that's the point. And so you can withstand a few knocks, provided you've, you've fundamentally designed a portfolio properly. Yeah, I think going into any sort of exotic asset carries risks that people don't understand, which is a bad idea just generally. Let's finish on a more personal finance note something that I'm worried about, which is bank contagion. As we're recording this, the, the, the Russian banks are experiencing bank runs and their share prices are plunging to extraordinary lows. Are you worried about knock-on effects in the financial system? Because that's where a lot of the fragility lies, a lot of the connections lie and where contagion really can happen. Yeah, well, um, spare bank shares were trading in London at $20 a month ago. I think they were a dollar a day when I, when I had a look. And... Um, so that's a that's a that's a bit of a shock. Would that spread? Would that cause problems? It could well do. I think that's why some of the cautious people were saying let's not, you know, eject Russia from SWIFT. Not not because they didn't want to, because they understood how 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 dangerous this is in a system where we've printed so much money over so many years. And um, yeah, it's quite possible that some of these things come back to bite us. But you know, there are times in life when you've got to put uh, principles first. And if our system's not designed correctly, then then that's our fault, and and we've got to fix that. Um, I would I would say that you know it really brings home how things like Bitcoin are just much more relevant and and useful and um, and legitimate than people have, have you know institutional investors in particular have, have given them credit. You know if you're if you're a Ukrainian, then why the hell shouldn't you have some Bitcoin? You know, 
when you're, when you're trying to understand what's happening to your life um, over the next few months. And frankly, if you're Russian as well and you're not happy with what your country's up to, then, then you might feel the same way. So I think more people around the world, particularly private individuals, will just say, you know, I, I, I really get it. You know, things can change very quickly. And, um, and I think, we, you know, we're going to have a tough, the world's, the world's going to get tough. And so we've got to think differently. That's the most important point that, that we want to make this. You know, if you go down to your high street bank and say, give me generic investment advice, that advice will be terrible. It will be absolutely terrible. And it will be, it will be um, um, advice that's all over the textbooks. But literally, we've spent a decade or more milking the system to, to make that advice too good to be true. You know, a standard portfolio advised by the mainstream has just done um, theoretically impossibly well over the last decade. And that's all going to unwind because of financial engineering. And so, you know, you, that's the last thing you want to do. You want to think very differently, diversify and really understand your risks. And, and how you can protect yourself. That's in currencies, in bonds, in equities, commodities, and increasingly digital assets. Have a spread of everything. Well, assuming that gets past the compliance review, Charlie, I think you've just finished off perfectly there. That's why we founded Fortune in Freedom, to try and do a better job than the mainstream industry. Actually, uh, readers can expect some, some articles from you in coming weeks that I've stolen with your permission from the Fleet Street Letter Wealth Builder. Uh, Charlie, thanks for joining us, and everyone at home, thanks for joining us as well. Thanks, Nick.